If you're a lover of Yahweh, uh, then you're going to love these chapters tonight as we'll see the end of Baal worship. And so it's really an awesome, an awesome night tonight if you've been getting fed up with um, those Baal times, you know. And, uh, but remember, clear back in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, you'll remember when Elijah was really depressed after the victory at Mount Carmel. And he basically uh, made a beeline south. Uh, left his companion in Beersheba and then kept going south to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And he basically had a big pity party for himself there back in chapter 19. And, you know, just was hating the ministry, was hating the persecution. And uh, you, you remember that, you know, the Lord had compassion on him and mercy and he was sensitive to uh, what Elijah was going through. But then finally, the Lord just told Elijah, all right get up, (laughs) you know, get up, enough wallowing in your self-pity, I've got work for you to do. And so there in 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 15, the Lord said, go back up to Damascus and do three things, anoint Hazael king over Syria, and we, last week we studied how uh, Hazael was, uh, was spoken into by Elisha that he was going to be the new king over Syria. And right after that, uh, Hazael went and killed Ben-Hadad and became the king of Syria. So that's happened now. Uh, The second thing he was supposed to do was to anoint Jehu as the king over Israel. And last week we studied that happening, Jehu becoming king over Israel. And then finally he was supposed to anoint Elisha as his successor, as the next prophet in line. And so... uh, Elijah actually only himself did two of those, or one of those things. Later on in chapter 19, he anointed Elisha as his predecessor. But uh, last week we studied it was Elisha who anointed Hazael, king over Syria, and Jehu as king over Israel. Now, what was the purpose of those three things? Does anybody remember? Kind of already spoiled it already tonight. But it was to destroy Ahab's house. You remember, the the purpose of these three guys were to destroy wicked King Ahab's house, his lineage, as he was completely given over. Ahab, remember Ahab was the king of Israel, completely given over to idolatry, worshiping the Ashtoreths and the Chamashes, uh, completely forsaking Yahweh's for the... Yahweh for the Baal God, and, uh, and so, uh, so we see that happen last week as uh, all of Ahab's sons uh, were killed, and then uh, Hazael also is to be part of that. It's all supposed to bring an end of Ahab's wicked rule and all to bring an end of this Baal worship that we've been reading about so much. And um, look over there in 1 Kings chapter 21 as well. When Elijah confronted Ahab, wicked King Ahab, we read this last week, but it's a good reminder. Verse 20 of 1 Kings 21, so Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you and I will take away your posterity I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. 
I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation which you provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel his wife stirred him up, and he behaved very abominably in following the idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went until morning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. And so last week we read the beginning of all that calamity on his house when Jehu, the anointed new king of Israel, drove his chariot to where Ahab's son Joram was nursing his war wounds. And you remember, he, Jehu drove ferociously. His, his driving was very easy to see, like some of yours from a distance, as he's fishtailing in that chariot all the way uh, to kill Joram. And he ends up killing Joram, the, the king of Israel. And then he ends up going and killing the king of Judah, Ahaziah. And then he ends up going and killing wicked Jezebel. Very graphic scene last week that we studied. So if you missed last week's study, definitely encourage you to, uh, to listen to that study. If, you're, if your iPod's big enough to fit the study on it, it was a long one. But, uh, so, um, so here in chapter 10, we see the continuation of God destroying the house of Ahab uh, by the hand of Jehu and destroying all those that would worship Baal. And so uh, chapter 10 is where we find ourselves. And it says, now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. The, the oldest son we, we've been studying, Joram, was just the king who was killed. But he had 70 sons. And Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel to the elders and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, and so, you know, 70 sons, probably because of all of the immorality that was in Ahab's, um, you know, kingdom as king of Israel, there was a lot of sexual immorality, uh, you know, multiple wives he had, although the, the most famous wife was that Jezebel. So imagine 70 sons. And he sends a letter to all of the elders and the guards. Uh, who are taking care of Ahab's sons, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualifier of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. So everybody knows who this King Jehu is. In fact, well, they don't call him king at this point, but he's been anointed king by Elisha. Jehu used to be a commander in Ahab's army, in Jehoram's army. He was a very famous commander. He was an, a man of valor, a mighty man of valor. And so everyone knows this, you know, what, what's happening in the headlines at this point. You know? Jehu goes on a killing spree. You know? He's going all over, killing everybody that's associated to Ahab's house. Watch out, you know? 
And then they get the letter in the mail, the email of the day, you know, saying, look at all the 70 sons. And whoever you think is the most capable to lead, forget who's the oldest, whoever's the most capable to lead and to fight for the house of Ahab, you know, put them on the throne. Get all of your weapons and your chariots if you think you're so tough and come out and fight me is basically what he's saying. And so they were all exceedingly afraid. And they said, look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then shall we stand? You guys remember last week when uh, Jehoram and Ahaziah rode their chariots out to meet Jehu? And remember they said, is it all well? You know, why are you driving so crazy? And he says, how can it be well when the wicked king Je- Queen Jezebel is still on the throne? And you remember the scene is, oh, there goes my, my water. Sorry, Mike. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> and uh, and they're, they're there on their chariots. You know, and it's an it's a Old West showdown. They're against Jehu. And the second they hear him say, how can it be peace with Jezebel still on the throne? They go, run for your lives. Yeah! You know, and two kings, you know, fled from one general. They ran for their lives and both of them just got wiped out like that. They couldn't stand and everyone knows that. How can, you know, if two kings couldn't stand up against him right then and there, how, how could one of us? It's not possible. And he who was in charge of the house, and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. They kind of made an executive decision without con- confronting the sons and said, You know, we're not going to come fight you. We-, we know what would happen to us. Then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, All right, if you're for me, and will obey my voice, take the heads of your men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel uh, by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him at uh, Jezreel. So what a slaughter took place as Elijah's prophecy to destroy the whole house of Ahab, this wicked house, was fulfilled. And uh, it was probably easy to kill these guys because they were total basket cases. No? Okay. I'm just, just feeling you out for what's to come a little later. Look what Jehu did to get ahead. No? Still not there. Okay. All right. Moving right along then. Um, so 70 heads rolled. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but decapitation is probably one of the worst ways to go. I mean, I, I don't think I would want to have any part of the guillotine. And uh, these 70 sons are brought in, heads in baskets to Jezreel. And in verse 8, it says, the messenger came and told him, saying, they've brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, then lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So it was in the morning that he went out and he stood. And he said to all the people, you are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? You know, he's basically saying, you know, I did what I had to do, what the Lord told me to do. 
And you guys did what you had to do. It was righteous what you did. You know, don't look at me that way is what he's saying. You know, you had to do what you had to do. I had to do uh, what I had to do. And, uh, and, and so, you know, you're the ones that killed these guys. So you might as well join me. Stop looking at me that way. Verse 10, know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So you guys remember the verse we read in 1 Kings chapter 21 about what's going to happen to the house of Elijah? He says, not one of those words is just going to fall to the wayside un- unaccomplished. But like we've been studying as we've been working through the kings, you know, everything the Lord says he's going to do, he does. And, you know, two weeks ago, we read that one chapter that just kept saying, according to the word of the Lord, according to the word of the Lord, according to what the prophet said, you know, the word of the Lord, it all comes to pass. And even Jehu, this kind of bloodthirsty guy at the time, uh, recognizes that in verse 10. Verse 11, so Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel. And all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left him, none remaining. So Jehu did more than kill all of Ahab's house. He killed all who were even remotely associated with Ahab. And, you know, the Lord was pleased in one way how he accomplished destroying Ahab's house. But I think there was a little too much bloodthirst here going on because clear back in Hosea, the Lord says, you know, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. And so he, he kind of took it a little too far. You know, anyone who was associated with this guy died in any capacity. And, uh, and so uh, none of them were left remaining. In verse 12, and he arose and departed and went to Samaria. Remember, Samaria is the capital of Israel, the northern nation there. And uh, went to Samaria on the way at Bethaked of the shepherds. Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah. And hey, Dakota, why don't you go ahead and just flip up the, the king's chart? Because um, there's a lot of names being thrown around. And so right now, the green on the right, those are all the kings of Judah. And so most recently, we're at the bottom, King Ahaziah. Last week, we read of King Ahaziah being killed. Uh, on the left, last week, we read of Jehoram being killed, and Jehu took his place, okay? So as you read these names, feel free to just look up and be like, wait, which one's which? Because um, it can get confusing sometimes. So uh, Jehu's on the way um, to Samaria, and he meets all the brothers of Ahaziah, uh, the former king of Judah. And he said, who are you guys? So they answered, we're the brothers of Ahaziah. We've come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. Or, in other words, hey, we're the brothers of those guys you killed yesterday, and we're coming down to pay tribute uh, at their memorial service, Jezebel's and Ahab's sons. That's not something you want to say right now to Jehu, guys. Jehu's on a killing spree of anybody remotely associated to these guys. So, slip of the tongue, bad idea. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So he says in verse 14, take them alive. So they took them alive and then killed them. At the well of Bethaked, 42 men 
and he left none of them. So all of uh, the brothers of Ahaziah are now dead as well. So not only is Jehu killing all of Ahab's wicked house, but he's beginning to kill all of the house of Judah at that moment as well. So a lot of blood being shed. Uh, Verse 15, now when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, is your heart right as my heart towards you? Is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? Now, uh, the Rechabites, um, of which Jehonadab was part of, were very conservative uh, Israelis that were, you know, trying to set up, uh, you know, a pure religious system or a pure worship system in Israel. I mean, they were very far-right conservative. They even forsook all agricultural pursuits um, because they didn't want to be associated with Baal worship and the rain god that he was, okay? So they are ultra-conservative, kind of like nomadic um, guys that just are out kind of living off the land. And so uh, as Jehu rides in his chariot, he sees the leader of these guys and says, you know, is there peace here? Are we good? You, me, you, me, we're good here? And, uh, and the guy says, yeah, it is. My heart's peaceful. So Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up with him into the chariot. Then he said, uh, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. Now, I think this was kind of a, a little bit of a political move, you know. Uh, the new king sees the conservative, uh, conservative party, you know, as he's going, basically setting up his kingdom. He says, hey, this is good publicity. You know, when the newspapers take our picture, it'll be good to have you in my chariot with me. So he hops up in the chariot with them and says, come, see my zeal for the Lord. You know, he's kind of wanting to show off what, uh, in his mind, is, is this zeal, this passion for the Lord in destroying all the Baal worship. See, I'm going to go destroy all the Baal guys. Are you with me? I'm with you. Then hop on in. Verse 17, and when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he destroyed them, according to the word of the Lord, which he'd spoke to Elijah. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came. So that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal and the temple of Baal was full from one end to another. So what a great way to get all of these pagans together as the new king to say, oh, don't worry, I'm for you, but come and worship. We're going to have a big time worship, Jesus Northwest, Baal Northwest fest, you know. Um, Come and and worship. If you're not here, I'm going to kill you though. Okay, so everyone's there. Everyone who names the name of Baal is there. And uh, 
The temple was full from one end of another, a packed house. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them or their worship garments. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. Uh, So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, if any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened as soon as he made an end of an offering, the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. So what a, a, a wonderful uh, day that it is, as we've been reading of how the, the, the people of the Lord, the chosen people have been bowing the knee to this fake God. And as you read the scriptures, you see God's hatred for idolatry. You know, you read Isaiah and Isaiah mentions, you know, the Lord's heart. It's like, man, a logger goes out in the woods and he cuts down a piece of wood And he brings it back to his house. And for part of it, you know, he builds a fire and he, you know, cooks his food on it. And part of the wood, he, you know, builds this, you know, builds a table. And he goes, and with the rest of it, he takes it and he carves an image, you know. And then he bows down and he starts worshiping the image. And the Lord's saying, that's ridiculous. You know, that's that's stupidity of the brain to go and worship something that you just chopped down in the woods, you know, and then later on in Isaiah, he says, you know, eyes these idols have, but they can't see. Ears these idols have, but they can't hear. You know, you could knock it over right there on the, wherever it's at on your table or whatever, and it's just going to lay there and, and, and sit there, you know. You're not going to come out in the morning and it's going to be sitting up and angry at you for knocking. No, it, it's a piece of wood that you chuck. You know, Nate knows what I'm talking about. You're a logger, right, Nate? I mean, come on, is that ridiculous or what? <laughs> You wouldn't want to worship that stuff. And and so it's ridiculous. And so finally, the Lord brings an end to this ridiculous idolatry. How faithful the Lord has been to show himself strong. The Lord even showed up on Mount Carmel in a consuming fire that burnt up Elijah's offering, whereas with the Baal offering, it just sat there. Nothing happened. Baal didn't show up that day. As Elijah mocked the prophets, he must be on a business trip or eating his dinner or be in the bathroom taking care of his, you know, little issues or whatever, you know. That's what he was saying. It's ridiculous to worship other gods or to give your heart over to anybody or anything that's not Yahweh, that's not the Lord, the living God. And so finally, it's just a beautiful thing to read that in verse 28. You know, you might want to underline it. Ah, thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. And so that is 
that is all taken care of there. Uh, in verses 29 through 31, we see just the spiritual evaluation of Jehu. We get a look at his heart. Now remember back in verse 16, he told the Rechabite leader that uh, he had a zeal for the Lord and he bragged about it. Come and see my zeal for the Lord. And uh, I personally think he had more of a zeal for his mission. He had more of a zeal for, you know, having this great battle ahead of him. He was a warrior for goodness sakes. You know, he was pumped and stoked and excited to go and, and, and do this great battle plan. And how that's a picture of us. Times walking around proclaiming to have a zeal for the Lord when really we have more of a zeal for ministry. Or we have more of a zeal for religion. You know, or we have more of a zeal for, you know, being, uh, having the accolades of being in ministry. We're more passionate about uh, street witnessing than we are about just knowing Jesus, you know. And uh, it's interesting because as you look at the letters to the churches in Revelation, uh, the first letter that goes out is to the church in Ephesus. And look in there in Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible, so it'll be a really quick turn for you. The last book of the Bible, chapter 2 Verse 1, when he writes to Ephesus, this is Jesus writing. Actually, you can just look at, at verse 2, you know, he says, I, I know your works, O church in Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you can't bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you've found them as liars. And you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so we see the Ephesian church here in Revelation, they're in a similar place as Jehu was. Boy, did Jehu have works. And he was doing a really good job. In fact, later on, we're going to see the Lord commends him with the job he was doing, getting rid of Ahab's house. He had his ministry before him. He had this passion over that ministry. He had this zeal for that ministry, just like the Ephesian church. You know, and, and this might describe Jehu, but it might describe you as well and me. Man, we have a passion against false teachers, don't we? Man, I hate false doctrine. Man, I want to stand up against it. Man, you know, I, I want this patience that the Lord gives. I'm persevering, you know, in the faith or in Christianity. But even in the midst of doing all these things, just like Jehu was doing all these things, how quickly we can leave our first love. And the, the actual language there in the Greek is so strong. It says, You're, and you... Your first love you have left. And how we, we leave that first love relationship. The f Remember what it was like that first day you got saved. You know, how you just wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. How you just wanted to have fellowship with other Christians. How you just wanted to pop the worship album in and worship or play your guitar. Or, you know, you just wanted to spend time with Jesus. You were passionate. You were zealous. You know? And yet, how quickly we can just, we can get so consumed with ministry or just, you know, Sunday morning Christianity or Wednesday night 
Christianity that we leave our first love and we leave the intimacy that is in Christ. And so uh, there's just a, a warning there as we look at Jehu. And so in 29 through 31, those verses here, we're going to see just the evaluation of Jehu. How it says, however, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. You know how, how Jesus talks about, you know, we got to remove the plank from our own eye before we remove the tiny little sliver from our brother's eye? You know, that's exactly what was going on with Jehu. He's out there trying to remove the sliver from Israel's eye when he also has a plank in his own eye. And he didn't remove it. And in his zeal of cutting down the idol worship, he forgets to cut down the other idol worship that was at the heart, clear up there on the left side, at Jeroboam set up. You know, they had this cancer going through Israel of idol worship. And he only took care of the most surface cancer, you, you know, when under, underneath the skin there was, was that cancer from Jeroboam, the golden calf worship, the idolatry that was there. And so we see while he was zealous, uh, he didn't take care of his own sin, and he still worshipped at the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, uh, Because you've done well in doing what was right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So he's commended by the Lord. Good job with the way you took out uh, Ahab's wicked house. And, and because you did such a great job, I'll give you the throne for four generations. Now, first thing I thought of when I read this, and maybe you're thinking this, well, well what's going to hap- happen after four generations? <laughs> you know, uh, are they going to get killed in the same way that, you know, I killed Jehoram and Jehoram killed Ahaziah and, Ah- you know, all of that stuff? It, are they going to be killed because of something that we do? Because if that was you as a dad, wouldn't you want to make sure that you do all that's in your power at that moment to say, Lord forbid that we're removed from the throne because of our immorality. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, as for me and my house, I'm going to be training my sons from this point on to worship Yahweh in Him alone. And we're going to go throughout all of Israel. We're going to burn the high places. We're going to tear down these golden calves. We're going to follow the Lord in faithfulness like the Lord told Solomon to do. But he doesn't. His heart, and we see why, because look at verse 31. Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel sins. And man, aren't you reminded of when Solomon first became king at about 15 years old. And the Lord told him, he said, I will make you the, the most wealthy king. You know, your, you, your throne will be so strong if you'll just obey my commandments. If you'll just keep, keep the law. If you obey me, I will just totally bless your kingdom. And as Solomon was obedient... The kingdom was oh so blessed. But when Solomon disobeyed, the kingdom went downhill and was split in two and was divided. And ever since, there's been huge amounts of bloodshed. And man, you know, Jehu 
What are you doing? Why don't you just obey the law of the Lord? But he had no heed to walk in the law of the Lord. He had no regard for the law of the Lord. That he would follow, and you might underline that, you know, he didn't follow with all his heart. You know, the Lord wants all of our hearts. You know, he was zealous in killing Baal worshipers. Just like some of you are, are zealous for, you know, killing secular music on your radio. Oh, I won't listen to country, that's the devil, you know, or I'm not listening to 94.1 The Rock Station, you know, or I'm not, you know, we're not going to watch American Idol because that's idolatry, you know. Uh, we're not going to do this and we're not, oh, you know. And yet in the other areas of our life, there's compromise. You know, and does that describe you? Do you serve the Lord with all your heart? All of it. Or is there just areas of zeal, like there were areas of zeal in Jehu's life? But you know, Jesus was asked by a lawyer, he said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema. He said, the greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. With all of your soul and with all of your strength. Because when you're loving the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, you're not going to want to worship other gods. Or you're not going to let that into your house or this into your house. You're not going to stand for this immorality or that idolatry. Because you love God too much. Your whole heart is consumed. So nothing else has a place. There's no other shelf in your heart because the whole shelf of your heart is given over to Jesus. Man, all he wants is all that we are. And that's why Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, man, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you would give your lives over as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God, which is your reasonable service. When a sacrifice gets put on the altar and the flame is lit, there's not like one leg of the cow hanging off like, oh, the rest is going to get burnt, but we're saving this part for later, you know, and, and somehow it burns all that and that falls on the ground and you save it for later. No, you put the whole thing on the altar and you make a giant fire and the whole thing is consumed. And so we as living sacrifices, there's no place for this part is for me. You know, this habit or this pastime or this little worship of this individual this is for me, not for the Lord. I, I get this. It's my right to have this. No, it all goes on the altar. And Paul closes that verse with, and it's your reasonable service. It's reasonable for the Lord to ask that of you. You know, he created you. He died for you. He bought you at a price. So your body is no longer yours. It's the Lord's. And so it's a very reasonable thing for him to say, hey, all I want is all you are. Give me it all. And if you don't give him your all, you're no, you're no better than Jehu. I'm no better than Jehu. Just a very zealous guy that's missing the mark. And just, man, as we continue studying, Lord, I just pray that you would just show us the areas where we're not giving it all over to you. Just reveal it to us as we're walking through your word tonight.
And so Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, uh, who had made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, and Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. So let's go to the map there and uh, just get a look at what's being conquered. You see the two seas? Do you see the two seas in the middle of the, the nation? The small sea up north is the Sea of Galilee. Kind of looks like a tiny, tiny little heart or something. Uh, the Jordan flows from north of that sea up by Dan. It flows down into the Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan continues way down there to the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, and then it stops there at the Dead Sea. And so king of Assyria, Hazael, Assyria is up in the north where it's just brown up there. Uh, he comes and he begins conquering all that is east of the Jordan River. Uh, he starts taking Manasseh uh, and their land. He takes Gad and their land. He takes Reuben and their land. And if you remember the story of, of when the nation came into the promised land, the Lord had given them everything over on the left side of the Jordan was theirs. And so when the nation went in and conquered, they conquered um, all, all the guys they conquered. But then when they were done, those three tribes said, you know what, we like it back over here. You know, we're going to go back on the other side of the, of the river. Um, we like it over there. And so they just missed out on the full blessing that God had for them. And here we read of they're the first ones that are conquered. Uh, and they're, they're, just, they're being chastened by the king of Assyria, Hazael. Later on in the chapter, we're going to read Hazael goes um, all the way down um, to the south part of the Salt Sea. And he's going to wrap around and start coming in from the north and start persecuting Judah, and he, basically with this plan to surround and uh, flank the whole nation. And so uh, Hazael conquered them. And an interesting thing is this was all during the, the years of Judah. Uh, you can go to the next slide there, Dakota. And don't you love, once again, how archaeology, secular archaeology, points and validates the Bible. Isn't that awesome? This is... Uh, this, uh, it's called the Black Obelisk, and it's from Shalmanazar, uh, the king of Assyria. And uh, Jehu, who we've been reading about, um, began to pay tribute to the Assyrian king Shalmanazar. And so this is a, an actual engraving, uh, a his, it's, it's like a book of history from the Assyrians. And on it, from the, the second tier down, you can kind of look at the second tier down, uh, is the story of Jehu. And there's a picture of Jehu written uh, by the Assyrian historians. Uh, and there's a picture of him driving his chariot ferociously. And, the, and on there, the caption reads, that the tribute of Jehu, son of Omri, I received from him silver, gold, a golden bowl, a golden vase with pointed bottom, golden tumblers, golden buckets, tin, a staff for a king and spears. And so it's just so awesome how the critics say, you know, the Bible is false and this. But man, how everything that is in this book 
It's valid. It's true. And history proves it. So if you're ever in Britain or England, go to the Britain Museum and you can see this black obelisk and look at the, the actual accounts of, of Jehu paying tribute uh, to the Assyrians. So uh, verse 34, now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Israel? Remember, we don't have the chronicles of the king of Israel, but we have First and Second Chronicles, which are, it's the story of um, Judah. So somehow the chronicles of Israel got lost out there, but the Judean chronicles, uh, we have those. And so those are cool to read as we work through all this. Uh, so Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So the next king in Israel, Jehoahaz. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria uh, was 28 years. So he had a nice, uh, long reign. And so that's where we're going to close tonight. We're gonna, we, we've seen the end of this king's life. And, uh, you know, Jehu, he doesn't, uh, you know, while he was used by the Lord, he doesn't measure up to King Jehoshaphat. He doesn't get a star by his name, you know, or King Asa. You know, he, he doesn't measure up to those guys. But King Jehu, he's more like a tool uh, that's, that's used by the Lord, much like uh, Sennacherib the king of Assyria was, or Shalmanazar, the king, you know, used, or, or like Nebuchadnezzar was. Uh, he's just like those guys. He's just a, a chastening rod. His heart wasn't given over to the Lord completely. And so we'll go ahead and have the worship team come up, and, and we just want to just spend some time worshiping. We're going to have the kids come in and worship with us, and just want to give a portion of time over to just having the Lord Search our hearts. Like David wrote in the Psalms. You know, he, he says, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And let's just let that be our prayer as we look at Jehu. You know, if Jehu would have had a humble heart that, could you imagine if Jehu at every morning would have just said, Lord, search my heart today. And all of my zeal and all of my appearance of righteousness, search my heart, see if there's any wicked way. Man, how his kingdom might have gone on for more than four generations. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.